Thank you for coming back. It is now Monday the 1st of February that I am recording this and it's been a week since I launched Falling Out on the 25th of January. And boy has it been a hell of a week. I honestly could not have imagined the responses that I would get to this in a single week. I have been blown away by the outpouring of support that I've received. It's just been astonishing. People from all over the world. A guy from Japan wrote in saying, hey, uh, just within 24 hours of launch, a guy from Japan wrote in and said, hey, you know, I love what you're doing. I just binge I just binge listened to everything. Please keep doing this and can I be on your show? So yeah, let's let's do it. Um thank you, Japan. Uh I got my first Patreon uh within twenty four hours. Someone, you know, saw the value in what I was doing and contributed. Uh and that financial support means an awful an awful lot to me and the supporters have grown since then it's nothing crazy but it 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 shows that this is meaningful in some way i got many messages from many different people but one that i wanted to share in particular that stood out to me um uh goes like this subject is thank you uh the message goes like this i just discovered your podcast and i am blown away by how awesome it is I am a recovering Mooney, still trying to get better, and I'm working on a project to tell my story too. I have a collaborator who was also in the group at the same time I was. I never got blessed, and of course I was recruited into it, not really joined. So I never thought the second generation stories would resonate with me, but boy was I wrong. I hope you will continue with this project, and maybe I'll get to talk with you sometime. Thanks again for your light humor and humanity in the darkness um and something about this really hit me i just that last line man um there's more gratitude and appreciation in that single line that i received from a stranger within a couple days of launching this podcast than i received in a near lifetime in the moonies and decades and decades and growing up in this awful environment no appreciation and then i do this and i get a message like that um yeah just i mean i think that tells you everything you need to know about how this cult values people um it's just been incredible to receive messages like this and and one more story from the last week that i'd like to share is Last night, I got a call from a good friend of mine um, who told me that his mother is still in the church. She has been considering, doubting, thinking about, you know, maybe there might be something wrong here. She's been thinking about all those things for a long time, but was evidently never quite ready to make a decision and and do something to change her life, but... She listened to the first six episodes of the podcast, and as a result, she's leaving. She's out. And that was astonishing to hear. I'm still um, amazed to, to, to see that as a result of this within less than a week of going live. I mean, if, if you can do that in a week, what can you do in in a month or a year um 
and I got another message from someone else who told me that someone had listened to to this and was also leaving the church. So that's at least two people in less than a week. I'm just astonished by the by that outcome, and uh, it just gives me great encouragement to to continue this. Clearly, clearly something's working, so I'm just gonna fucking keep doing what I'm doing. And I want to say thank you to the people that have contributed so far in uh, the upcoming contributors as well. And finally, in case it hasn't become apparent to you yet, uh, I am new to this. I am making this up as I go. I do not know how everything about podcasting works, and it has come to my attention in the last week that one thing that would help the show is simply to have ratings on Apple Podcasts, excuse me, ratings or reviews on Apple Podcasts. So um, if that's your platform, or even if it's, if it's not, and you'd like to support what's happening here, then it would help the show to leave a rating or review there, specifically on Apple, but on any other platform as well. Um, and uh, yeah, we just appreciate any support that you can give me that way. Let's switch gears here and talk about this upcoming episode um, and also talk about how this came about as well as the overall timeline of how these episodes are put together. So when I first conceived of this project, I thought I would be talking to people about stuff that happened 10, 20, 30 years ago. And then I talked to Ares Meyer in episodes three and four. And he told me about COVID fundraising, which is a very current issue. And I, that made me think, fuck, I need to get this out now. And I need to bump Ares' interviews up in the publication order because of what he has to say is so current and so relevant. And in the conversation with Ares, he said, hey, there's someone else you should talk to um, who I know. Her name is her name is Akina. You should talk to her. So um Aries made the connection. Akina and I started talking uh, in early January of this year. Um, as fate would have it, Akina's parents are members of Sanctuary Church, the infamous gun cult, whose leader on the 6th of January was on the steps of the Capitol joining the insurrectionists. Um, and so all of a sudden, talking to Akina in January whilst all of this right-wing MAGA stuff was happening in the U.S., it became quite apparent that actually, rather than talking to people about stuff that was happening in the past, it, this is current, this is relevant right now. It was quite incredible to see that the, the, it's like the timelines are collapsing in on each other in a sci-fi movie or something like that. So because of the the currency and, and the relevancy of this conversation with Akina, I wanted to bump her up in the order as well and get this episode as well as the following episode with her published as soon as possible because it is so relevant with Joe Biden being inaugurated less than two weeks ago. Just felt like the right thing to do was to get this out as soon as possible. Okay, so with all of that said... Let's talk about this upcoming interview with Akina. I need to clarify a few things here. Um, God, where do I start? Okay, so um, I mentioned that Akina, Akina's parents are in Sanctuary Church. Um, I don't know if we're ever going to be able to do justice to how 
crazy Sanctuary Church is, but um, there are a few follow-up points that Akina and I discussed that, that we want to make sure are, are, are addressed because we didn't really get to them in the in the interview. Um, number one, um, uh, Young Jin Moon, the leader of Sanctuary Church, has uh, explicitly called for the execution of his mother, Hak Jahan, a.k.a. Reverend Moon's widow. He's gone on the record in public asking for her beheading. Let's just pause there for a second. That's just the beginning. Number two, Sanctuary Church has been designated a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center specifically for their views on the LGBTQ community. And that designation was gained as a result of the Southern Poverty Law Center being alerted to a video that's still available on YouTube of Hyungjin Moon uh, from Sanctuary Church uh, effectively equating LGBTQ folks to pedophiles. Oh, that's part of it. It's a really crazy video. They, I also have to say, there's kind of a there's a little aside here that I, a little rant that I just have to go on. But if you look at that fucking bonkers video on YouTube, there's a bit where he's clearly out of his mind, but he starts talking about uh, female genital mutilation, uh, which is obviously a terrible thing. Um, but he's basically talking about how somehow trans or homosexual people would somehow allowing them would would lead to widespread fgm um i just want to point out that for a completely different episode that i recorded two days ago uh we did a deep dive into some of reverend moon's words and reverend moon is on the record sean moon's father reverend moon is specifically on the record calling for fgm so sean moon's a fucking hypocrite ever there was one and he's fucking batshit crazy as well Anyway, I digress there. Um, there's a lot happening in this. Um, that bit about the homophobia and transphobia, as you will hear, is particularly relevant to Akina and to her family. And I, I want to make it really clear just how crazy this situation is. When I opened this interview with Akina, one of the first things I asked her was where she was calling in from. And she told me about the specific part of Los Angeles that she's living in and where we were doing the recording from. And I have it on the tape. Um, we did the interview. Um, but afterwards, after the interview, she asked me to take out that part because her parents don't know where she lives and she wants to keep it that way for the reasons that you'll hear about in this episode and in the second part of my interview. First, a bio of Akina. Akina Cox grew up on the East Coast of the U.S. as a so-called second-generation member within the Unification Church. She moved to Los Angeles in 2003 after being raised in the church. She's now an artist, and her artwork is included in the exhibition care package at Vilmitter, Los Angeles, until February 6th. She's had a solo show at Bozo Mag, also in Los Angeles, earlier this year. Documentation and an accompanying text can be found on bozomag.com. Her artist books are sold through Ooga Booga in Los Angeles and Printed Matter in New York City. 
Older work can be found on her sporadically updated website, akinacox.com, and she sometimes posts paintings on her Instagram, at akinacox. I will put all of this in the show notes. Here it goes, guys, my interview with Akina. Um, so to get things started, uh, I want to ask you the same question that I, that I kind of ask everyone to get started, which is, can you just help the audience understand, uh, understand your sort of place in the, in the, in the timeline of the Moonies? And, uh, so can, can you walk us through sort of when you were born, uh, where you were born, uh, and some of the broad strokes of your of your upbringing, just to just to start with. Sure. So, um, so my parents were part of the what is it the thirty two hundred couple? Which, or, what what was it? Nineteen eighty two. Madison, Square, Madison Garden. Square Garden. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's there was a mass wedding in Madison Square Garden. I think it was between four and five thousand couples yeah. I think I don't um, know I always get confused with all the big numbers that yeah. they meant that they throw out there and you know what's funny is like my parents for some reason my parents were 1800 that's like like they were associated with a number not with a place uh but that and that was in 1975 but in 82 when your parents were married for some reason the whole event is assigned a place name as opposed to a number name I don't I don't know what's driving that but everyone just calls it Madison Square Garden as opposed to like actually referencing the number yeah I feel like sometimes I heard the number mentioned but I just feel like the Madison Square Garden blessing was such a huge event in terms of the church's history that it definitely gets referenced yeah yeah so your parents are blessed in 75 yeah uh that's bananas yeah wow so like all of so when I came around, I was born in nineteen eighty in January nineteen eighty four. Yep. So Okay. So all of like my camp counselors would have been from your your yeah, peers, your probably blessing, from your my blessing. from my age cohort. There was another one before before my parents, which was seven seven seven, so seven hundred and seventy seven oh, right. couples. I think that was in maybe 1970 it could have been 69 I don't know exactly I feel like there weren't that was in Japan maybe yeah there weren't there weren't many so-called western couples there a lot of them were were, a lot of them were from Japan and Korea but I guess the reason I mentioned that's because I know like when I was going to camp a lot of a lot of a lot of the parents a lot of the kids were had parents of that generation, the seven, seven, seven. But also like the younger, you know, let's say they had like, you know, four or five kids. Some of them could have been born right around when I was born. And so what that means is the camp counselors that were looking after you could have been from my generation, but also from the Uh, previous generation. Yeah. Um, um, So it wouldn't surprise me if, and I know in the prep call, we were talking about one specific camp counselor that, that, that you had. uh, And I remember I, I know that family and I know they're from the 777, not from the okay. 1800. Um, yeah. So there's some, there's some crossover there. Um, yeah. I remember hearing, like, I remember some of the families that were from your parents' blessing and I feel like my mom treated them 
like with so much reverence. Mm. It was like every couple like looked up to the couples that were blessed yeah. before them. Yeah, and that's uh, that's something that I'm finding more and more the more these conversations I have is how much of that like uh, reverence and respect was was built into the organization, and yeah, it kind of, it, it. I guess I I've just I've just started to realize that I. In a way, I come from like a, a privileged generation within mm. the within the church because my parents were were one of the the older cohorts, uh, and but in turn they looked up to the to the people from the seven seven seven. But you know, I I think there were the generations below my below my sort of age cohort. There were a lot more of them, and I think they yeah. were probably treated in general treated worse than like their parents were treated worse by the organization than my parents oh, were, I think. Interesting. Interesting. Cause I feel like, interesting. Uh, I feel like the parents might've been treated better or worse, but I feel like your generation was treated worse than our generation. Yeah. I think we, I, I think we, um, I, well, I can't speak for for your experience, but I think we were kind of, we were the guinea pigs in a way. Oh yeah. Where they were they were just trying to figure out what do we do with all these kids that are right. supposedly perfect, supposedly all this all this crap. Uh and I mean I I had it better than my older sister and some of the older the older kids, but yeah, I, I do feel like we they were just kind of figuring figuring things out. They were like throwing shit yeah. at a wall basically with us yeah. and trying to figure out what to do with us. Uh and I, I guess hopefully you and, and other folks your age kind of benefited from that. But yeah. Yeah, because it feels like, so I was thinking about, like, how do I describe the trajectory of my life in a few sentences? <laughs> but I feel like what the answer is really just like, I, I was born a couple years behind you Yeah. in the same place you were living at. So mm-hmm. we were, so my first home was the New Yorker Hotel. Yeah, yeah. What, do you know what hospital you were born at? I I want to say New York Presbyterian, but okay. I don't know specifically. Do you know what hospital you were born yeah, in? Yeah, I was born at St. Vincent's. Okay. It, it could have been. Village. I think the guy who delivered me, his name was Dr. Dempsey. I don't know why I remember that, but it was, was that the guy who delivered you? I don't think so. <laughs> but I remember my parents saying something about how they like went to... <laughs> it's, okay, now that I'm saying it, I realize it sounds kind of weird, but I feel like my parents said that my mom was in labor and they went to several hospitals before they found one that would accept her. Okay. And did did you say why? Like an health insurance thing or something? Yeah. Something like that. You know, it was one of those stories that I just took for granted. And now that I'm saying it out loud, I'm like, wait, (laughs) what? (laughs) It's amazing. I've been out of the church for like, depending on how you look at it, at least 10 years yeah. if not longer and these things still come up yeah, you see. <laughs> it's just like wait so my mom was just like walking around manhattan looking for a hospital to accept her yeah excuse me and I, well i mean the, the thing is i mean i'm I'm a, I'm a parent i don't think i'm very i, I don't think i am unique in saying that m- most parents are pretty clear on what's going to happen what like the day that their kid is 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 born like they know what hospital they're going to go to uh that's something and obviously complications can arise which may change the plan etc but in general they have a plan 
they're, they're not, they're not just like, like, yeah. oh, the universe will, you know, two parents will provide, <laughs> provide this medical care for me. There's, there's a bit of, yeah. there's a bit of playing that goes into it. You know? Yeah. No, my parents, uh, I, uh, according to the story I was told about when I was born, my mom's water broke. She called her doctor. He told her to come to the hospital by, or by 5 PM. And she said, can I come a little bit later? Because one of her old classmates from art school, cause she was in art school before she joined the church. Her art, her classmate or a professor had an art show up in Manhattan that she really wanted to see before, and okay. she knew she wouldn't have a chance to see it before. <laughs> <laughs> and so she was like, so she went there, and that was the Whitney, which is museum, which used to be kind of uptown. And then I guess she just like walked downtown and tried to go to a oh hospital God. afterwards. I don't know. It was very. Like it made sense when she was telling me when I was a kid, but now that I'm trying to repeat it, I'm like, this is just bananas. It's yeah. She it's, went to like multiple hospitals. And I think St. Vincent's was like the one for like poor people and poor okay. artists. Like okay. it's like St. Like a lot of poets died there. <laughs> it's oh, in wow. Greenwich okay. Village. Okay. I think that's why the musician St. Vincent has her name after the hospital. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then I was born shortly after midnight, although my parents lost my birth certificate and also couldn't decide exactly when I was born whenever they would tell okay. me the story. So okay. it's okay. very vague and Okay, random. all right, all right. And actually just to like, just to rewind a little bit. So uh, for those that don't know, the, the New Yorker Hotel is a hotel that was bought by the Unification Church, I think in the 60s or 70s. And it became sort of a hub of Unification Church activity on the on the East Coast. Uh, yeah. And many, many kids my age were their parents lived there when when we were born. Um, so you're, you're not the first person I've spoken to uh, who also was born in that place. Um, yeah. And I'm sure you won't be the last. Um, but yeah, it, it is this kind of weird, you know, you think of, of cults being out like on a commune on the farm. No, this is like on, you know, in this, in Manhattan, basically next to next yeah. to Madison Square Garden. Um, yeah. 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 So that's, 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 that's what that is. And the church still owns it by the way, but I think they, they yeah. like some other company, some other company runs it, but it's still owned by the church or something, something like that. Like that. You know? And it was like the bottom floor had like, and the basement had like shops and mm-hmm. and like a lobby and and then there was like the Manhattan Center, which is like a recording studio. Yeah. I think is yeah. like on the second or third floor. And then yeah. back in the day, there were a couple floors of this building that were just for church members yeah. to live there. Yeah. Um. So and then when I was small like a toddler or something my parents were uh made friends with a family on who lived on the jersey shore Mm -hmm. and then they decided to move down and uh to the jersey shore and at first our house when i'm looking back at it i'm like it was a little bit like a mini church center like we had it was almost like a satellite like people would come and stay with us to fundraise or do other church activities but as I got older it was just my family 
and okay. we lived on the Jersey Shore. Not a lot of church families lived near us, but we would have like a home church on the weekend sometimes, mm-hmm. or we would drive up to Newark or the New Yorker for a okay. bigger church event. Okay. Okay. And uh, I grew up going to Camp Sunrise and mm-hmm. a bunch of other church camps. Mm-hmm. And then when I was 16, my parents decided to move us to rural South Korea. <laughs> so my not no okay. one in my family is Korean or spoke Korean at the time. And it was the year 2000. So it was definitely... Can, can I... <laughs> Can I just, can I ask, so I would definitely going to talk more about that, but I feel like every, everyone, everyone that I ask has a, has a slightly different answer to this question. And so I I would like, and and the question is why Korea, what, what is so special about Korea in, in, in the words of the church? Um, And everyone has kind of a different answer to that about like what, what Korea meant to them or what they were told about the importance of Korea. So I'm just wondering if you have any recollections about <sighs> why, why you were told it was so important to go to Korea, to learn Korean, to learn Korean culture, et cetera. I feel like the reason my, I know there was a concrete reason my mom wanted to move to Korea, Okay. but just growing up, I always heard that. Oh God. Now I feel like I'm failing a test from, Sunday school I'm like well the leader of our church was Korean I remember hearing that you had to learn Korean if you wanted to get to heaven Mm -hmm. um and now my mind is blanking I'm like it was just an important place for our church and I don't remember all the reasons okay all right no that's that's fine I mean that that's one of the things that I've heard is like is like People, people, people speak, speak, people speak Korean in heaven. They only speak Korean. Yeah, which is completely bananas if you think about just how many people have died of their history who speak other languages. Like, what are they doing there in, in this yeah. supposed place? Are you telling um, me a religion doesn't make sense? I know, right? I know. Can you believe it? <laughs> Can you believe it? Um, but other, one, one thing that I remember hearing was that like, soon at some at some point in the near future the world was gonna start like bowing down to reverend moon uh and as a result korean would become the language that everyone would speak around the world uh and therefore therefore we all needed to learn korean to be able to to take part in this new you know culture that was going to rise from from the church effectively I'm sure I probably heard that too. I was just blanking out. Okay. Um, I feel like, I mean, my whole childhood, I feel like I just remember being in so many lectures and mm-hmm. talks and what I would do would be, I would stare at the ceiling and like count ceiling <laughs> tiles or, you know how sometimes, uh, sometimes they would rent nice ballrooms to have talks. Yeah. And so there'd be like really pretty chandeliers and I would just count like every piece of glass on the, in the chandelier. <laughs> now those, so, yeah, those talks just went on forever. So I'm sure, I'm sure they could have been saying anything, but I was just like, let me count up all the colors I see. Let me like, I feel like yeah. I got really good 
at entertaining myself. Yeah. Yeah, you kind of had to. But, you, there's because nothing made sense in those things. You had to just kind of like zone out, and it, yeah, it, like that. That was the only the only like possible thing to do, in my opinion, was just zone yeah. out and not listening. I feel like still to this day, I'm really good at zoning out. Like <laughs> I don't. Oftentimes, like you know, I live in LA, so I'm often in my car. But oftentimes, I don't even listen to anything. Like I need my time to just like stare out the window and drive mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. kind of like. I don't know, self-regulate, I guess. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. I ha- I mean, I feel the same way. Like I, I mean, I live in London. I don't drive much, but I go for a lot of walks just yeah. to, that's my like self-regulating moment. Mostly I'm not yeah. listening to things. I'm just, just walking, totally. just looking around and just kind of zoning out basically. Yeah. During, I go on a lot of hikes. Time. Yeah. I go on a lot of hikes and I own, oh, my dog knows that word and now is excited, <laughs> but, um, I, I, I like to go outside a lot and I don't listen to anything. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. I, I never made that connection between that and the, the unfortunate. Being bored uh, out of your mind. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Exactly. I just wish they could give us back all those hours and just give us like a video game to play or something. I don't know. Yeah. 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 It's like, uh, yeah, have you read Malcolm Gladwell's book? Uh, the one where he's like, it takes 10,000 hours to get, oh, to get really good yeah. at something. Like, we probably spent 10,000 hours in those fucking lectures. He's fucking bored. <laughs> What's we're, that? We're experts in it. We're the Michael Jordan of being bored. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What it, what's kind of like the craziest, I don't know, thing you remember hearing in a, in a lecture? Or cra- I don't know, the craziest thing happening. I don't know. I feel like my normal meter is broken. At least I think that's what my therapist says. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I have. I'm just like now, now <laughs> I'm like, I don't remember hearing anything in any lecture. <laughs> I'm sure I heard crazy stuff and I just blocked it out. Mm. I, this is not something crazy but I remember being at one of the camps and like a true child was at one of the camps so one of Reverend Moon's kids yeah and they came and sat down right next to me and the whole lecture I was really sleepy and I remember thinking after or like I was I talked to counselors afterwards and the consensus was like that there were sleepy spirits attacking me because I was near a true child. <laughs> it was like, I was being attacked by evil spirits because they were so good. That, like, I guess the idea is like when something is like so good and so pure that like evil spirits want to attack it. So if you're yeah. like around the atmosphere of a true child, like yep. you're going to be like hit you're going to be like collateral damage. Yeah. So I, yeah, I don't remember anything that was said in that lecture, but I do remember being very sleepy and I'm sure it wasn't that I was just like a sleep deprived preteen. Yeah. Well, I'm I mean, sure that, that's what, that's what these, spirits. of course, hundred percent sleepy spirits has nothing to do with the fact that they were getting you up at probably five, six, seven in the morning every day for a few weeks. I mean, you just do the then. damn jumping jacks in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, no, yeah. Sleep, sleep deprivation is real. And, and it's, 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 it's a classic like cult indoctrination tactic. They like, they pretty much all use it. Um, has it 
been interesting or it's been interesting for me after the Iraq war, I feel like maybe like five, 10 years ago, there was like a lot of talk in politics about like what exactly is torture Mm. and just realizing like, yeah, some of the things that we went through can be psychologically classified as torture. Although there's things that like, we just kind of laugh about like, yeah, yeah, like not getting any enough sleep or doing these or like doing something like unity jumping jacks where everything, everyone in the camp has to do them perfectly. Otherwise we all have to start over and we don't get our breakfast until we do everything perfectly together. Whoa. So so talk a little bit more about that. I never did that. So how you didn't have what? Okay. I, now I take back that you're, (laughs) you're, you're, I had it easy. I had it easy. Okay, so my parents were in um, Camp Sunrise, or my parents helped out at Camp Sunrise from when I was very small, and some of my first memories are, like, being, like, essentially a baby and being carried around there. Okay. And so I remember seeing, like, people older than me being treated kind of badly Mm. kind of do you like how i say kind uh, of badly so can you give be a little more specific there i at one point i was an age where like they just let me run wild around camp like i feel like maybe i was four or so okay and i just remember i have this hazy memory of running out the back door behind the mess hall and seeing a bunch of older kids like four or five like squatting in a stress position okay and like they had their hands out and they were squatting down and they couldn't move and I think they were crying like silently crying because they were in pain yeah and there was someone like watching them to make sure they held a position for a long time whoa okay and these, just for context, these were probably like teenagers, like, I don't know, somewhere between 13 yeah, and if, 17. Yeah. At a, at a yeah. Church if that, I think that, so oftentimes Camp Sunrise, when I was a kid, they would have really long workshops for like yeah. preteens and older teens. Yeah. And then they would let the kids my age who are a few years younger come just for a week or two. Mm-hmm. And then the, and, and then your age group would like be our counselors and then we would go yeah. home. And then your camp would continue. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. I never went to like the ultra long ones, but I remember yeah. like my older sister went to one that was 70 days long. Uh, and like it, it was, it was called hell training. That, that was the name. Uh, oh given, given yeah. To a tra- uh, yeah. God knows what happened there. I feel like I've talked about this with you and other people about like how I just, I was young and so I I saw these like hazy I have these hazy memories of like yeah like seeing people in stress positions or like hearing people's stories and I just knew like I had to be a really good kid because I was scared out of my mind that like I would be treated like that wow like I just feel like some of the older kids it seemed like sometimes they would disappear like like I would go to Newark or New Yorker and, and, and there would be a Sunday school teacher who was like maybe just an older teen and then they would kind of disappear and no one would talk about them. And maybe yeah. it was just that they left the church, but sometimes it seemed like maybe they were sent to 
uh, Chongpyeong or another church property and you wouldn't kind of hear from them. And I was just like, I think I was just really terrified wow. of what was happening. Okay, I just need to stop and chime in here for one second. Akina just mentioned this place called Chungpyeong. And depending on your listening order and or your familiarity with the Unification Church, you may or may not be that familiar with this place. This place is a so-called re-education center in Korea um, where you would be forced to go through very intense indoctrination programs that involved uh, effectively mass beatings where you were encouraged to beat yourself as well as beat other people around you. I have spoken with other people on the record in interviews that you will hear from later on in this series uh, who will go into that in much more detail. But, And I've been there myself. It's a pretty horrific place, to be honest, and that's where some of the horror in Akina's voice is coming from here. Back to the interview. Okay. Okay. That's interesting that you had that. So from a young age, you could you could kind of feel that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't, I personally, I don't think I like, I didn't really cotton on to how terrifying it was until I was a lot older. I guess I, I was just kind of like, I just oh, thought yeah. it was normal. I was like, well, this is, this is how it works, you know? Like, oh, I, oh, I think it, I thought it was, I was terrified. I had no, no words to express that yeah. when I was a kid. Okay. It's just only now after being in therapy for a while. Can I okay. Say, yeah. Oh, yeah maybe I, was, you can... I was terrified my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> but I think part of it was just that like us kids from our from it's funny how the church creates like little baby booms yeah. so like the baby boom of like 84 through 86 or 87 I feel like us kids like super looked up to you guys who are like a couple years older like yeah. we idolize you guys you are our big brothers yeah. and sisters and yeah. so and we were told all the time, like, these are your big brothers and sisters, yeah. like, take care of them or like, follow their, follow their rules. And like, yeah. you know, anytime the older sisters would like play with me or braid my hair, it was just like, I was on cloud nine. And mm. so just like knowing that there was something mysterious happening, or you guys, like, sometimes people were... I don't know. Just anything happening to you is really scary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I, I remember feeling the same way about, about the kids yeah. that were two, three old years older than me. They were like, we, we were encouraged to feel the same way about them. Uh, yeah. And you know, it was, you know, these are your older brothers, your older sisters, they're going to look yeah. after you. You're there, you know, uh, and yeah, we were, we were taught to idolize them a hundred percent. And I, as you, as you say, like eventually like some of them start like disappearing. Um, and yeah it's it's kind of it's kind of concerning uh and then you hear from some people you're like oh well they left the church or whatever and like oh you're like like this person fell like or yeah or they were struggling so the the euphemism was like they were struggling so they are at like a 40 day at an at a remote church site okay so the thing is i feel like that that's interesting to me because for people my generation and older I feel like there was less of that maybe there was Mm. just the the church was just had less structure to it there there were less places to set to send people off to like Chengpeng wasn't as developed you couldn't just like send people there to go so for me there was there was less of that like just kind of like kid kid, they went to some place to you know be I don't know spiritually educated or whatever there was less of that there was more of like you just stopped seeing them 
okay. and, and in most cases, like, guess what? They got old enough and they left the church. Um, I, I, I think, yeah, exactly. I, I think that's what yeah. happened basically. But it's interesting. I hadn't really realized that there's sort of an advent of sort of like, I don't know, re-education or like, you know, that, that you sort know of stuff what? happening. Like people could have just been leaving. I'm sure for the most part, people were just leaving. It was just the way it was talked about when we were still young. Like all the euphemisms were so scary. Like, yeah. cause I didn't like, oh, they're struggling. Well, what yeah. does that mean? Yeah. Like, anyway. Yeah. yeah. So my brief. <laughs> so, so Unity jumping jacks. I still want to hear about Unity jumping jacks. Cause I, that's a very specific thing. I want to, I want to hear about it. So. Unity jumping jacks was every morning at Camp Sunrise, we would have to, we would wake up really early, usually around five or six, mm-hmm. like all gather at the basketball courts. I've been to that basketball court. I've done that. Yeah. And I've done the same thing. Yeah. So everyone um, would line up by group because everyone was assigned a group and a group leader. And we all had to do jumping jacks and count them out loud. So you'd be like one, two, Three. Yeah. But at the beginning of the jumping jacks, the camp counselor or the group, the camp leader would count out some numbers, like say three and 17. Okay. So then the whole camp would have to yell one, two, four, five. And oh. yeah, so it was like a whole bunch of kids. And how many kids are we talking? Probably like 100. 200, yeah. more or less. So the whole bunch of like anywhere from like eight nine ten to like teenage year Mm -hmm. kids hundreds of them would have to scream out these numbers but be silent on other numbers and if anyone made a mistake we'd have to go out to the beginning and if and if it got really bad like if a couple people from a group messed up then like or if you messed up twice then you would have to like do a like your group leader might have to do a stress position or like there were like different punishments yeah okay um and it would sometimes take for it would seem like forever it might have been like 30 minutes it might have been an hour an hour and a half whatever yeah and and it was only if the whole group did it perfectly could we eat our breakfast okay and then we got to eat our breakfast and then we got lectures for like the rest of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. I mean, so I remember those lectures. I bet I don't, I remember doing jumping jacks, but I don't remember unity jumping jacks. Um, and one of the things that I remember hearing about were on that, that same basketball court, which is like a, like a blacktop, um, yeah. um, uh, basketball court so one of the things that happened in the the hell training workshop um which my sister went to um uh was i, I don't i don't know what precipitated what precipitated this or why but basically they um whoever was running it decided to to um kick all of this like gravel and these like stones out onto the um mm-hmm. onto the um the blacktop yeah, and, and made the campers all lie lie down with their hands above their head, kind of like and and roll like back and forth on this this really bumpy gravelly thing, um, just like a pencil. Like imagine rolling a pencil like this, um, and they just made them do that for like over and over and over again, just to just to punish That's them. So just, and, horribly cruel. Yeah, 
yeah, uh, kids were bruised and, you know, they're like, I, I don't know what it was like, I, I don't know, someone, something stupid, but I don't know, probably some kid had like a Britney Spears CD or something like that, you know, or oh, and so like, and, and then, and then the whole, you know, everyone had to, pay, had a, to pay, pay for that or something like that. You know, there's a stupid. lot about what we'd call like group indemnity. Like if yes. one person messes up, the whole group has to pay, which a, yeah. I've been told is also like a, a no-no <laughs> in terms of like <laughs> torture guidelines by the UN and stuff. It's oh, really? Like, okay. Yeah, it's like not, it's like psychological torture to make the whole group pay for one person's mistake. Yeah. Even if you can call like owning Britney Spears CD like a mistake, but yeah, yeah, no, it's that's awful. Can you imagine sending your child to something like that? No. Like, I feel like no, I would. I don't have kids, but if someone treated my dog like that, I would like rip their head off. Yeah, exactly. And this is this is what I, I mean, kind of what I don't understand about parents who like, you know. Parents, when kids would come back and tell their parents about these things. Yeah. And then the my parents... parents were there most of the time because yeah. my dad was like one of the lifeguards and my mom was an arts and crafts counselor. They saw like one year they had a guy walking around with a foam bat who would hit people if they're bad. I remember that guy. I remember yeah, that guy. Tiny or whatever. Tiny. Yeah. Yeah. This guy was huge. Huge. Tiny, what, tiny was like a, you know, sarcastic yeah. name for him. Like, like he was massive, like, like Schwarzenegger yeah. big. Um, yeah. And yeah. And he would, he had a bat with, with foam wrapped around it and he would yeah. hit people with it. I was My there. My parents were there. And yeah. I, Yeah. Every year I would cry before camp and my parents would say, you know what? Last year was bad, but the leaders all discussed and they're putting someone new in charge. So this year is going to be better. I remember them saying that year after year. Yeah. Yeah. And you just think of like any, in any other context, a parent would just be like, I'm not sending you back there. Yeah. (laughs) Like, Yeah. It's bananas getting older and watching my friends with kids like and how they treat their kids and like validate them and don't want to send them to a torture camp. Yeah. <laughs> That's been really uh, eye-opening. Jesus. Yeah. I, yeah. I never quite heard Camp Sunrise called a torture camp, but I, I think it's. But you did not... hear it being called the hell training camp. <laughs> yeah, years, yeah, that yeah. wasn't weird. I know. I know. Right? Yeah. Just... <laughs> yeah. Um, Fuck, man. Yeah, I hadn't heard. I hadn't thought about that guy, Tiny, in a long time, man. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. So, um, went to a lot of camps. Yeah. I. Yeah, heard. Um. I went to a school most of the time without any other church kids. So okay. So you went to like a, a normal public school. Most of the time, yeah. Okay. And so I was, and most of the time I was the only BC there, although sometimes I wasn't. Okay. There was another family with kids. Okay, all right. Who okay. moved in when I was a preteen. Okay. Um. Yeah, so I was one of those kids that was really, I think we all were, like most of us were really good at like keeping all the divisions of our lives pretty separate. Like I didn't really explain where I went to on weekends or... Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, in general, I tried to do that. 
Um, yeah. It was a bit, I think it was a bit harder for me. Might've been harder for me than other, than other kids because I grew up in DC and my parents worked mm. for the Washington times. Uh, and I actually remember in high school, um, <laughs> uh, I told a friend of mine, and I, this, I, this actually, this guy is, is a, like one of my best friends now to, to this okay. day. Uh, so we're like very, very good friends and he knows about the church now and everything. But um, I, in high school, I told him my parents worked for, for the Washington times. And he's like, he's like, do you know who owns the Washington times? <laughs> and you were like, no. <laughs> I was like, I was like, no, you, why, why don't you tell me? <laughs> and uh and he, he 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 told me like his own his own version of whatever you know of whatever however a you know fifteen year old would describe Reverend Moon in yeah. this case in church, uh, and I was just like oh okay like that's interesting and I just kind of pretend I didn't know it, um, but eventually like he found out about like you know, whatever uh, be- because my parents had photos of the you know Reverend Moon around the house and so whenever friends would come <laughs> over, it became pretty obvious that something strange was going on and yeah. and eventually they they kind of figured it out. Um, Kind of, I like how we're acting like they're like Sherlock Holmes here. And it's like, oh, there's <laughs> pictures of that guy yeah. I was telling you about on your fridge. Yeah, exactly. That, it's, it's hard for them to figure that out. It's really hard. Um, I'm, I, I feel like I'm talking not to celebrity here, but kind of like the fact that you, your parents worked for the Washington Times. Because that was like, I feel like that's so interesting. I... I just remember like the way my parents treated that paper growing up. Like we, my parents were kind of strange in that, like we would also get the New York times, which I feel like is normally a no, no for church families. They're very conservative, but the New York times had a good art section. And as I said, like my mom Mm. was, uh, went to art school and yeah. so she, so we would read a lot of papers, but we'd okay. still get the Washington Times at okay. least every week. Okay. And my dad listened to talk radio all the time. Okay. And so it was always a big deal. So it would happen, we'd, we'd get the Washington Times, we would read it. Sometimes we'd be listening to the radio and Rush Limbaugh or Sean Hannity would mention the Washington Times. Yeah. And when Rush Limbaugh mentioned it, there was always this ding. Like, I don't know how much you've listened to conservative talk radio. Thankfully, very little. He Sometimes he would say, like, the Washington Times, and then it would be like, bing. I think it was like, uh, maybe it happened with other papers. It was like, he was kind of like citing his sources. Okay. And so there'd be this like little pause and the bing sound. And like, my family would get like all excited. Like, I'd be like, really, because... What was happening, although I didn't know it then, was that the Washington Times, which is like a bullshit paper, which is very conservative and prints random nonsense, would get cited by the conservative talk radio. And then they could point to this paper as like, oh, we're not we're not making up this crazy idea. We have sources. right yeah and then so they would tell their listeners and then and then conservative uh government officials could use that also to Mm -hmm. cite 
new legislation that they were promoting. Yeah. Um, I feel like it was really big in the 90s and probably before, but I was barely able to read in the 80s. Yeah. Um, But I remember happening with like all of Bill Clinton's um, scandals. Yeah. Like I remember the Washington Times like printing that he killed people and blah, blah, blah. Whoa, really? Oh, yeah. There. Well, there's this whole thing that like he had someone killed. I forget what it was. It's like there was like a suicide. I'm blanking on the guy's name. There was a suicide of like one of his friends. And then then it became this rumor, which became like a printed article in the New York Times, in the Washington Times that he had someone killed. Whoa. Um, So that happened a lot. But then even like a couple of weeks ago, it was crazy to see it happen again because Mm -hmm. the Washington Times printed like right the... On their website, like a couple af- hours after the storming of the Capitol, they yeah. printed, they published on their website that it was Antifa who was yeah. storming the Capitol. Yeah. And then Matt Gates, a congressman, went on the, uh, went was on the floor of the House, and yeah. he referenced the Washington Times article. Yeah. yeah, and it just feels like sometimes I think that. I wonder if the Washington Times was a forerunner for. I think I know what you. I know. (laughs) I know what you're saying. I mean, so what? And okay, like if we just take a step back, just for people that aren't familiar, like so the Washington Times was started by Sun Moon Moon in the '80s, specifically to, in his in Reverend Moon's words, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically to, to offer a, a conservative voice in, in Washington. Um, yeah. So he had a very specific vision about trying to sort of use a newspaper in Washington to, to shift the, the public discourse to the right, effectively. Um, yeah. that, that's the vision behind, behind the Washington Times. Um, and he poured a ton of money into it, money that was basically came from labor trafficking, from, you know, the fundraising that, you know, your parents, yeah. my parents, other people's parents, some of our own, you know, kids, kids our age have, you know, I'm sure some of that money's gone to the, gone to the Washington Times as well. Basically, uh, he collected a bunch of money off the backs of free labor, untaxed and ported into this, um, into this newspaper whose stated purpose was to shift the, shift the conversation to the right, effectively. And that started in the 80s went into the nineties. And uh, I think I mentioned this before on this, on this show, but um, I, I, so yeah, both my parents worked for the Washington times. Um, uh, I was there at the Washington times 10 year anniversary party uh, in, in DC where they had congratulatory remarks from, I believe uh, George Bush senior, as well as Ronald Reagan. I could be wrong, but I think maybe Newt Gingrich was there was like, like gave, gave a, gave a message as well. But so they were, and, and they're basically saying like, thank you so much to the Times for bringing in a new conservative voice to Washington uh, for, yeah. you know, bringing some balance to the, to the public discourse. Um, and, and so, you know, evidently it was very successful. A, he was very successful in courting those people. I think there's another story about how much he paid those people to maybe give those messages. Oh, yeah. um, but we can come back to that, but fundamentally that was the vision behind the paper and i think it was very successful in doing that and shifting the dialogue to the right um and i think you're absolutely i mean you're, you're absolutely right in that um you know 
the culmination of that is is here and now just so people know it's january 16th today when we're having this so 10 days ago the capitol was stormed uh and in in the aftermath uh this Senator Gates uh, literally cited the Washington Times as a, as a source for blaming it on Antifa, as opposed to the, the, the real folks <laughs> like who are yeah. like, like putting that shit online, like taking selfies of themselves yeah. uh, on the right that were, that were doing it. Um, so, I mean, you, there couldn't be a, a more clear demonstration of how the, the Times has, has really kind of like been a part of that shift to yeah. the right in the and- U.S., what I meant to say that it was like kind of a, it seems to have been a blueprint because that was yeah. like fo- before Fox News, before mm-hmm. OAN, yeah. before all of these like websites and mm. right leaning, yeah. uh, like I want to say news and quotes entities yeah. that have been also pushing a lot of the conversation to the right. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that story hasn't really been told. And no. I just went to art school, so I don't think I'm the person to tell it, but I yeah. find it really interesting and I yeah. hope someone no, looks I mean, into this more. I do. I, I do. I think it's a really interesting story. And I, you know, personally, if I, and I get, I apologize if people have heard this before, if I've mentioned this before on in another interview, but I, uh, if I look back on my childhood, it's, it's, and you know, the amount of, time and energy that my parents spent working on the times on the Washington times. Um, it's, it's hard. And I look at what's happened to the country now. Um, it, it, it's hard for me not to look at that and feel like, like my childhood was like a a sacrificial lamb, uh, for the, for the rightward shift in the country that is now reaching, reaching its, its climax effectively. Totally. Um, I, I'll say like, I used to, So I still have a hard time talking about where I'm from and my life because, you know, just living in LA, trying to slip, oh yeah, I was raised in a cult into a conversation is kind of hard. And, Mm. uh, but I, I used to always get the response like right away, like, oh my gosh, your life is so interesting. You should write a book about it. Yeah. And I would just immediately off the cuff have this impulse to say like, fuck you. This was my trauma. I'm not sharing my trauma for your entertainment. Yeah. That being said, as soon as Trump was elected, Mm. I remember that night in 2016 sitting around and thinking like, oh, I've like been to this place before. Yeah. My story has a purpose because I'm essentially someone who was, who was like essentially deprogrammed from radicalization. Yes. Yeah. And so, and like all of these people that I know in LA or or everywhere who like haven't had this experience with like cults or 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 anyone who's radicalized they like they don't understand what this world is right now Mm -hmm. but I do yeah and so I felt like okay I I do need to like confront or talk about my past a little bit more Mm -hmm. like there's a purpose and people want to hear because there's a purpose not just like I thought they wanted to hear like a scandalous story about yeah. like a 
abuse or something. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I, I think, yeah, that's, that was honestly part of my thought process when just starting doing these interviews and started having these conversations was like, you know, going through my own journey and you know, my own personal stuff, but also seeing this, like this, like big shift in the, in, in the world, basically of like, like fo- yeah. people falling into radicalization uh, and, uh, you know, having this really real difficulty, like just looking at evidence and having a rational conversation about evidence. Uh, and it's, it really mirrors the world that, that you and I grew up in uh, and yeah. now, now we're, we're out of, and I don't, I, yeah, for that was, for me, that was actually one of the reasons why I want, like kind of made me sort of accelerate my plans to do this project was yeah. to hope, hope to add something to that conversation because all of us people that are having these conversations will have come from a point of, extreme radicalization um through no choice of our own and have come out of it and i think there's like there's something to be learned from those from those journeys i will say what really makes really makes me laugh is thinking about like why our church was so right-leaning because i was always told it was like because the communists threw reverend moon in jail because they didn't like him preaching and he was persecuted by the communists of North Korea. And then when I, like a few years ago, I read something that was like, oh, the communists threw him in jail because he was a bigamist. And he was like, it wasn't because he was like preaching. Now, I don't know exactly, but it just feels like a lot of the stories I heard when I was a kid are totally wrong. Like the fact that he like, he supposedly Reverend Moon who was born in North Korea during the yeah. Korean war, like escaped to the South and he carried his friend on his back the whole yeah. way. And apparently that's all made up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's funny that a lot of this is just like, maybe because he's mad that they wouldn't let him sleep with all of his lady uh, uh, worshipers. So I don't know. And wait, did they throw him in jail because of that? Is, is that the thing? That's or? what I read in one place. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot. I think a lot of what we heard about him was BS. Uh, oh, it yeah. was all just it was all just fantasy. It was, it was the, the, the ranting of a madman, basically, uh, which is which is, you know, similar. It's the same thing as Trump, quite, quite frankly, when, you know, when Trump just makes these, you know, grand predict uh, grand, you know, statements about, you know, I don't know, this is the country's the best it's ever been blah 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 you know I, I'm the best all, yeah. the, all this sort of stuff you can see you can see moon in that when him just oh, totally pronouncing I am the best I am the best I am the best um I did this I did this I did this like no you didn't also the not making any sense part like the rambling part of the speeches where it's kind yeah. of incoherent like yeah. I always heard from my parents that well rev- like Uh, we would call him true father so they would say like true father says a lot of stuff because he's not just talking to the audience in the room that that this speech is being written down and there's going to be things in the speech that only will make sense in the future oh wow also he's like also giving the lecture to spirit world and okay, so some wow. of it is for them. So there were like all these reasons why these he was incoherent. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah. Which is the same with Trump. Um, it's totally it, the it, same with Trump. And that's what sometimes I, 
a little bit want to shake people on the left because I feel like they get a little bit bogged down with like pointing out Trump's inconsistencies. Mm. And I feel like no one on the right is going to like pay attention to that. Like you're just preaching yeah. to the choir and that's yeah. not actually helping. Yeah. That, well, that's maybe making you feel better, but it's like uh, not going to. Yeah. Cause they've already decided that those inconsistencies don't matter. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I don't know what, I don't know how you, I don't know how you get around that, but I, I, I agree Fund- fundamentally like pointing out the inconsistencies whether it's with the Moonies or, or with, you know, MAGA people or whatever, yeah. like it doesn't really matter. Like pointing out that they're, they're beyond having a conversation about the inconsistencies. We didn't even mention the fact that there were like church people like at the Capitol thing. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I know <laughs> God, we got We have a lot to talk about. I was, I, I wanted to get to that later. We haven't even really talked about the whole Korean thing, but I, I know you have, a, you have a, a bit of a connection to those people. So right. I'm w- wondering if you'd be, if you're comfortable sharing that. Uh, so my family moved to Korea when I was 16 and then pretty soon after my dad started an English speaking service in Seoul for like for church families that did not speak Korean yet and maybe not going to heaven yet but um (laughs) then uh Hyungjin Moon okay so Sean Moon also known as Sean yeah um Robin Moon's youngest son moved to Korea shortly after us, like a couple years. And then yeah. he grew up in New York, primarily speaking English. Yeah. So he, uh, he also started English service. And what happened was he and my dad started collaborating and working on an English service together. Okay. And it got really popular and they were streaming it all around the world and my dad was, my dad works with computers. Um, so he was able to set up a whole like web streaming thing. Okay. Okay. Uh, um, their service got really popular and a lot of people liked it. And over the years, it's kind of turned into this splinter group of the church mm-hmm. called Sanctuary Church. Okay. Yeah. Um. I don't know how to explain like all the drama of the church over the past like 12 years with like all of Reverend Moon's family like infighting. I try to explain it to some of my outside friends as like it's like a soap opera, like an old school soap opera. Say you watch it religiously and then you look away and you don't tape two episodes and you come back and like someone's in someone else's body other people are married to each other like someone might have killed someone it's like really dramatic and if you're not paying attention all the time it's like you're gonna you're gonna lose not, you're gonna, lose, you're gonna the lose the plot yeah yeah so a lot of shit went down they ended up infighting with a lot of other members and the church has always been into guns somewhat. Yeah. actually, like, I, Yeah. I remember when I was in Korea, so I, I lived in Korea in 94, 95 doing the golf oh, yeah. program. 
and I, it was really weird. There was like when I, the school that we were in had this, like it, it was part of this kind of like bigger complex of buildings and stuff. Uh, and yeah. we were, we were, we were kids and we were just like run around and like, you know, explore stuff. And like, we found this, um, this like warehouse and it was full of these crates and inside the crates were these, like, they were, <laughs> they weren't real guns, but they were, they looked like real guns. They were, and, and they were like M16s, um, uh-huh. but they were made of plastic and they were full of sand. Um, and what? I think my, my, the, my, the only thing I can think of like the purpose, but they, they looked, they had like the, yeah. the, 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 the size and the heft and the feel of an M16, but they were plastic and full of sand. And I think what they were for was for like military exercises, Yeah, you know, like practicing moving with a gun. That's the same shape and shape and weight and stuff, but you couldn't actually shoot anything. It was because it wasn't a real gun. But anyway, just talking about the church and guns, you just reminded me of that. Just finding this like, like thousands of these, of these fake M16s in this, in this warehouse in Korea. I love how the church was like this crazy mix of like neglect and abuse where it was like, like I feel like just like thinking about all the times I was running around at Camp Sunrise or Mm. like I feel like I don't know just sometimes just like the knowledge that there were a bunch of kids just like running around in Seoul who like didn't speak Korean in the mid 90s and yeah yeah and like just like opening these crates like god forbid there would have been actual guns in those crates like what would you guys have yeah Done. yeah and i know i know people who you know a bunch of, I, I, i'm not going to name names but i know yeah. I know kids who were um in seoul again my age uh you know 13 14 15 running around seoul and and some of them decided that it would be a good idea to um at basically go to a subway subway platform wait for a train train to train to come come uh, and then right after the train goes, hop down onto the onto the tracks and try and run from one station to the next. Um, oh my god! And uh, they they didn't die, but they <laughs> yay! <laughs> um, but that's the sort of shit that happens when they're neglectful. Yeah. And also, I missed another another episode. A guy got like really seriously injured in Korea when he fell off a building, oh. um, uh, just because because you have like you know like yeah. 40, 50 kids with with two two dorm parents and like no one's yeah. looking after them you just they just go and do whatever the fuck they want um yeah and that is neglect and unfortunately kids have gotten injured I'm, i think probably some kids have died as a result of that i, well. I know for a fact that kids have died and it, yeah but it was it, like it, it, all these stories that i thought were funny as a kid then you grew yeah up like oh yeah no but kids died though or yeah like, they were exactly. badly injured yeah yeah you're like oh that wasn't that hilarious when when that kid like ran through the subway and you're like yeah, yeah. but <laughs> when you're 14 it was hilarious but now it's, it's actually horrifying yeah think of that well wait so okay i we got to come back to this gun thing but who <laughs> who do you what do you know about kids dying who, who like what I feel like it's not my story to tell, but there was a kid on the West Coast who died uh, drowning at camp. Oh, fuck. Um, I feel like I can point you to people who might share the story. All right, that's fine. But I wasn't at that camp. Okay. But I do remember the next year at Camp Sunrise, like, 
uh they were trying to be like a little bit more careful about water safety because before yeah. they would just like have us all in the water at the same time and yeah um that being said their attempts at safety were like still like um less than the bare minimum yeah yeah so uh yeah whoa okay no i hadn't i hadn't heard that story um uh, but, so oh, let's let's go back to the to the gun thing so you were saying like the church does have this kind of like fascination with guns and you were talking about about sean moon and so i mean i remember hearing when i was a kid like oh yeah there's a church factory because i just feel like the word church business was thrown around a lot when i was yeah. a kid and now mm-hmm. looking back i'm like that should be not a thing you shouldn't have church businesses like yeah. that's choose like, one churches not both should not should be, be a church or a business yeah. yeah so there were many church businesses yeah one of them they said i heard at sunday school one day was like a, a manufacturing guns in china okay and i remember saying but we're for peace yeah. like why would we own a gun factory and I remember like asking my even asking my parents about it because I think I was so young I was like oh I must be misunderstanding something because I was like Mm. very innocently thinking like this must be wrong because like we're we're we always talk about world peace so I would be be for guns and I like kind of asked my parents and they kind of just like um ignored me (laughs) (laughs) they kind of just like said something quickly and then moved the conversation along um surprise me yeah and then over the years let's see as i said this is a crazy soap opera and it's hard to describe what was going on but ownership of the church and all of its businesses has been like up in the air since Reverend Moon died and even a little bit before that. And so he died, I think in 2012. Yeah, it was 2012. And he was like, even like for the decade or so before that, he would have like a favorite kid that he would say, okay, you're going to be in charge. And then a few years later, he'd say, oh, I changed my mind because this, this kid is like more heavenly. They're going to get everything. Yeah. And so it just created all this, insanity keep in mind his kids were born like over the span of like what a couple of decades yeah he and, had 13 of them right and they weren't like some of them i'm sure were kind of strangers to the other like some were yeah. raised in korea some were raised in america yeah and so what i'm trying to say is over the course of a decade this guy hyungjin aka sean moon went from seemingly a nice buddhist ish guy to becoming like obsessed with guns and clearly off his rocker yeah um the first like because he was well known when we were growing up as being like this night or okay i think you know more about yeah, he's an yeah, ass. He was an asshole. He's he was a fucking asshole. I met him when he was, when he was sixteen, and he was a <laughs> goddamn asshole. He was never nice. Uh, I talk about that in in another episode, so I'm okay. not gonna, I won't go through it. I'm now, excited but to listen that, to everything. That, that guy's always been a fucking asshole. He's never been nice, um, and it didn't surprise me at all when he became this 
gun nut effectively. So um, he, I guess he was an asshole, but for the kids who didn't grow up knowing him, yeah, he wrote a book when we were all teenagers and some yeah. of us were starting to do the STF program and it was yep. called a bald head and a strawberry. And yeah. it was like, he at that time was like, um, studying Buddhism, I think at Harvard and at the divinity school yeah. there. And so there was this image of him as being like a peace loving, calm guy who wasn't yeah. even really associated with the church. Yeah. But then so we all thought of him as like the nice one. Yep. Yeah. He, that, he, he cultivated that image. He, he, yeah. he, he cultivated that. Um, he did a good job of cultivating it. Yeah. To, to be fair. And then, and that's what his image was when he went to Korea. And then there was this idea, like he's the youngest son. That's so providential. Like, cause yeah. young sons in the Bible often like are the ones to take over the family. Yeah. I don't know, fortune or, or, or scam um so i remember my my first clue like something isn't right was maybe again like 10 years ago he had like somehow moved back to fill it pennsylvania or new york and there was this video that he took where he painted a, sorry, there was this video that someone made of him, of Sean Hyungjin cutting his arm, letting the blood run to like this black brass bowl, then using that as ink to like write this big calligraphy poster that was like a dedication to his father whoa and my parents sent that to me video like oh look at how like dedicated he is like he's so pure and i remember looking at that video and being like oh i don't know that seems kind of (laughs) scary like not really into that but like i didn't know what to say because you know it's like one of the least crazy things my parents have ever sent me. (laughs) It's just like (laughs) par for the course. So um, I remember bookmarking that in my head though, as being like, okay, like maybe he's not, maybe he's going off his rocker. I don't know. And just like over the years, we kept hearing more and more things about him, like being obsessed with guns, his Mm -hmm. brother cooked gin. I forget his American name. Um, opened a couple different gun manufacturing companies and then uses the profits to bankroll sanctuary church which is now hyungjin's group yeah and i just okay just to give a little bit of context on the gun companies that that he owns like that that what's i think it's justin cookchin owns uh Uh, it's it's been it's been a few years but i know that like they um they bought the rights, like they, they make their own kind of like, like they're specialized in like kind of like concealed, like, like small concealed, concealed weapons. But then they also bought the rights from some other company to, to produce uh, at least two very specific weapons. Uh, one of them is a Tommy gun. So yeah. you so, uh, so Tommy gun, you know, that was like made famous by Al Capone and the gangsters back in the day. Uh, another one is the desert Eagle. 
so Desert Eagle is a 50 caliber handgun. It's like, it's like, it's like a favorite of, I don't know, warlords and drug lords, basically, for being so big and so like obscenely like damaging and destructive. Uh, so these are not like these, 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 you couldn't even argue like these are just for personal like self-defense. These are like, you know, weapons of destruction, basically, is, is what this is what this this company produces effectively. Yeah, I didn't know that about the Desert Eagle. I don't uh, really know anything about guns. I don't. I'm essentially a vegan. I like, I don't, I, I'm not into like the sport of killing things. Yeah, that's, so, that's, that's fair. Um, I feel like I might want to one day try archery just for fun, but I have, I have a shoulder problem. So that's my speed. So. <laughs> but yeah. So, okay. So, so yeah, back to cook Jin and Sean and guns. Um, no, uh, I remember, so I stopped talking to my parents about six years ago. Wow. And a couple of years leading up to that, I would try and talk to them about what was happening. And my parents would say stuff like, oh, well, Hyungjin, like, oh, read this article he wrote, Hyungjin wrote that we need to abolish the police and I was like yay because I'm thinking like from the left like liberal side like yeah we do need to like think about restructuring the police force and they were like my dad was like no because we all need to be heavily armed at all times like no woman is gonna get raped if she has a gun on her when she goes to the bathroom by herself and I was just like I don't think I want to live in that kind of world <laughs> dad <laughs> like that doesn't yeah that doesn't sound great to me like yeah. I'd rather just pee and not have to worry about <laughs> shooting my foot off at the same time <laughs> like I'm a huge klutz I have a bruise on my knee and I don't know where I got it from okay <laughs> like I have a cut on my finger I that I got while baking bread yesterday. Like okay. I don't need to be armed to go pee. That yeah. sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So he okay, so <laughs> okay, so it's been six years. I'm I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Um but so just to kind of summarize like your parents, it sounds like your your parents kind of started working with Hyungjin in Korea. Yeah. And then that sort of thus began their kind of like partnership with him, if that's what you want to call it. Uh, yeah. And then they sort of followed him when, when it, when he like further splintered from the, from the, the main line of the unification yeah. church. And now yeah. there, I take it that they're kind of full on following him and what he's doing with Ex- sanctuary church. Last time I heard that is exactly what's happening. So, I mean, by the time he split off from everything, from the regular church, they had been working with him for probably close to a decade. Okay. Just like being, getting close, working with them in Korea. And so um, I try not to keep really close tabs on them just for my own mental health. But last time, like, they were in all the pictures that came out a couple years ago when the sanctuary church in 2018 did a, an event where it was like a mass wedding, 
but it was supposed to be a rededication. So you didn't have to be married. Like you, you could be already married and show up to this like Mm -hmm. mass wedding, but everyone coming had to bring an AR-15. Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. So. I'm sorry. AR-15 for those don't, don't, who don't know is, is is an assault rifle that is, has been used in mass shooting, many mass shootings. It's essentially, yeah. The huge rifle that is yeah every mass mass shooting in america yeah. has been used yeah. uh because it shoots like a lot of bullets per second yeah speaking yeah. of someone who's again never <laughs> had the gun, gun expert before, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's it's big yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's ugly looking <laughs> it's very menacing it's, it's a menacing yeah. look i mean you'd be scared if you saw someone walking yeah. towards you holding that thing yeah like, like if mean, you weren't is, scared, there'd be a problem. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. Yeah, so my parents were, like, at that event. They were, like, standing by Hyungjin. They were, they were like, clearly, like, some of his, like, top lieutenants in those photos. Okay. That was, okay. That was a crazy day because my brother... So my brother came out as trans, like, to me, like, a year or two before that event. Okay. So maybe 15, 16, 17, something like that. Originally, he came out as bi. Okay. And that's when I really realized I needed to, like, leave the church. Okay. Okay. Because he knew I had been... I was like quietly out and he and I had been talking hearing the fear in his voice of telling me that he was bisexual made me just I'm like getting goosebumps it makes me so angry because he not at him of course but just no like hearing the fear in his voice that oh my older sister might might reject me because I might want to sleep with someone who looks who has the same body parts as me yeah like just hearing how scared he was made me fucking livid Mm. because I was like Like, by that point, he knew that, like, I had gay friends. Like, I had, like, but he knew that I was from the church. So he that thought I that grew up could, in the church. I think he still... knew that I was going to be fine, but he was still scared. Yeah, that's, man, that's crazy. Just, like, can you imagine, like, someone you care about that you would, like, fight people over? Like, just being scared to tell you something like that and I was like okay I need to like publicly disavow like I was trying to just like quietly leave without rocking the boat and then Mm -hmm. I was like fuck this fuck Mm -hmm. these people who made my little brother feel less than yeah or whoever the fuck he wants to make out with like that's just fucking awful yeah and somehow I it helped me also see how I had been mistreated because I was like, I was like, this isn't a way for anyone to be raised in. Yeah. Once, um, but 
yeah so he's he said he was bi and then a couple years later he's like I think I'm also trans and then he got his date for his top surgery which was February 28th 2018 which Mm -hmm. is also the day that Sanctuary Church had their mass rededication ceremony no whoa (gasps) what the hell a few weeks a few weeks before I had an art show in New York so I was on the east coast and I was preparing for it and I would run into friends and um, they'd say like, oh, you look really stressed out. Yeah, having an art show is really hard. And I'd just be like, uh-huh. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's not like the where do you thing. even explain? Like, that's not the stressful thing, dude. Come on. <laughs> like, I was just like, I didn't even, because at the time before Sanctuary Church, there were, uh, before they did that event, some of us knew something was going to happen. Okay. But we weren't exactly sure what. Okay. But they had calls, like they had press releases, or not press releases. They had like those statements that they were sending to all their members saying like, you have to show up. You have to wear white. You must mm-hmm. have an AR-15 with you. It mm-hmm. must like, I don't know. Be I don't know if it had to be loaded. I don't know. Anyway, they were like, if you don't have an AR-15, an AK-17 is okay or whatever. Whoa. And, but you can't just have a little handgun or you have to like promise that you'll buy an AR-15. <laughs> they said an acceptable thing is to not have an AR-15, but to have like a receipt that you bought one. No. And it's like, it just hasn't gotten here yet. Like I, something was wrong yeah. with your Amazon shipment or something. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so oh. there were people that I knew that were like, realized something was up and they were kind of like quietly trying to figure out like what was going to happen like was everyone going to be okay like where was this going to be held oh the venue has a kindergarten right next door should we let them know like it was this huge thing I um, was trying to keep one eye on that and then also make sure like my brother was going to have his top surgery and everything would be okay with that. And that like, my parents had no idea that that was happening Yeah. and just trying to make sure everyone was safe. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that sounds very <laughs> the most stressful, stressful day of my life. <laughs> do your, do your parents know now about your brother? Um, I think they know he's trans. Mm-hmm. At one point, they sent out a weird letter to some people. Uh, like some church people and someone forwarded it to me. And it essentially said that, like, we know our kid is gay. I guess they think gay, gay and trans is the same thing. Okay. We're appalled that he thinks that Or like they said something about how like, oh, well, you know, we had gay friends back in the day. We're we're not anti-gay. But it seems like Akina might be like brainwashing him or something because they said that their theory is that 
Steve Hassan is my therapist. That <laughs> that deprogrammer okay. guy who's always Sorry. on the TV shows. Oh yeah, why are you laughing? This makes total sense. <laughs> no, so they think this. <laughs> it's just because Steve Hassan was the boogeyman when I was growing up too. Oh, he yeah. was like my like my parents always talked about him, like how bad he was and all the rest. And it's just, but yeah, it's, it's also hilarious was... that he's kind of like has a, he's having a bit of a moment in the limelight right now. Um, yeah. But i sorry. I shouldn't have laughed because, because I, I stopped your flow there. I just think it's hilarious that it, that basically the, the, the boogeyman that never like, uh, you know, really infiltrated my life. Your parents are like, you know, accusing you of, of being like having something to do with that guy. Uh, yeah. Who I don't actually think is is a boogeyman for the, for the record, uh, and and and, yeah. and from speaking with people in the kind of like people who study cults, he's actually reasonably well respected in that in that community as well. Yeah, um, I never met this dude. <laughs> I do know that when my mom first joined the church, like my grandma did pay him some money oh, wow. to try and get her. So okay. he was definitely the boogeyman of my childhood stories of like, okay. oh yeah, I had to like run away from this guy. Yeah. So according to them, at one point, the theory was he was my therapist. And so he was somehow brainwashing me. And I was like, maybe brainwashing my brother. Whoa. I don't know, maybe turning my brother gay or just like against the church. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how it works in their mind, (laughs) (laughs) but like, um, I just feel like it's kind of rich to like reference the fact that they were nice to like some gay people in our town growing up, but like they also took us to a really homophobic church. Yes. Where like, like my brother clearly remembers hearing that like Reverend Moon said that like gay people are worse than dogs. Yeah. You know, like it's like you can't just because you like didn't spit on every gay person you met doesn't mean that like you're not homophobic yeah so yeah so my for the record my brother's top surgery went great he's doing great good Good. um he lives he used to live close to the sanctuary church compound or within a couple hours drive and now he lives in la okay no so for the past few years though we're still not sure what sanctuary church can do. Yeah. We do know that they, both my parents and Hyungjin seem to be really into conspiracy theories and people trying to hurt them and persecuting them and the need for them to arm themselves to defend themselves against people. So my brother and I continue to take precautions in our everyday lives to stay safe whoa like what type of precautions no one knows where my brother lives except for me whoa he has like we won't give his we won't give his address out to anyone in our families i mean whoa god um that being said he told me his address and i think i forgot it but um anyway it's fine wow he, uh he i i mean like it's written down somewhere but yeah but um, yeah i mean i just just like i just want to pause there for a sec like you know for anyone who thinks this the unification church is about fucking peace and love like oh my God. like listen to this shit tell is this is this peace and love ripping families apart 
to the point that they can't even tell each other where where they live the fuck is that that's complete bullshit it's just like it's it's this weird balance and it makes me feel crazy and paranoid sometimes because i'm like who the fuck has to worry that their parents are going to show up armed Mm. like my worry is not necessarily like oh my parents are going to try and kill us it's like oh, they're going to hear some rumor or come up with some harebrained fucking scheme that involves like me being in danger or maybe a bad spirit or someone influencing me and they just need to like take me home with them or something. Yeah. And they're going to just show up with a bunch of guns Yeah. and like maybe try and quote unquote help me, you know, or honestly it's like the reason why I haven't really wanted to have kids ever is like I'm like oh if I had a kid because I'm married to another second gen it would be like a third generation child yeah so would my parents show up trying to save a third generation child yeah would they feel they had some sort of like like spiritual obligation to try yeah like like my parents are just I remember like six years ago when I stopped talking to them I got a lot of calls from my mom's sister and and her mom. So my Mm -hmm. grandma and I ignored the calls because I thought they were going to try and tell me to like play nice with my mom because they don't really know the whole story Yeah, and they're not in the church. So my mom probably just whined to them that like I, I wasn't being nice to her. Yeah. It turns out my mom had told them this harebrained scheme about how I was infertile and jealous of my friend that had a baby. And so they were like calling to offer me like moral support and tips on like IVF. What the fuck? And this was like six years ago. And I was like, oh, this is interesting because I know a fact for a fact that I'm not infertile. And also like my friends don't have kids. They didn't have kids at that point. So I was like, they just like made up fuck that is weird that's like a completely unhinged from reality yeah and I could see why that would be concerning yeah my therapist said my therapist I have now worked in a trauma ward of a hospital for a long time and she told me that like there are a lot of women out there that have been diagnosed as paranoid because they say that their ex-boyfriend is out to kill them or whatever. And the police say like, oh no, I talked to him. He's a nice guy. And so they get branded as paranoid, mm-hmm. these women. And then the boyfriend does come after them and he puts them in the hospital. Yeah. And then they're like, oh yeah, we just like labeled these victims as paranoid because like we as a society like didn't take seriously their pain. Yeah. Or their intelligence. And so I feel like I use that just to kind of keep myself feel sane because sometimes mm. it just feels like, oh yeah, why are you worried about this? Like, I'll, like now they're getting older and they have gray hair, but they still yeah. have their AR-15. So <laughs> <I know>. like, <laughs> I'm just, yeah. So I, I mean, I have like, I changed my address and, and I have a PO box now and I'm like pretty careful about how like I most of my social media is very private okay 
it affects my life in the silliest ways that makes me feel like sad for myself Mm, like what (laughs) like it was my friend's birthday this week and I love her to death but I don't and other friends of hers were posting these birthday well wishes online yeah I would never do that to her because I don't want to name online who I'm close to. Oh, who you're close to. Because that could be, wow. So yeah, you just, you don't want your parents to know that that I don't want them to know anything about my life. Wow. I I don't want them to know anything about my life. So I don't, which you would wonder like why I'm talking to you. (laughs) Fair question. It's a fair question. You know, there's this, so I, I feel like I try and be as safe as possible. Mm with my physical location, like I wouldn't post on anywhere like, oh, I'm at this restaurant right now, like before the pandemic. Yeah. At this certain level though, there's this Zora Neale Hurston quote that says, I might be butchering it, but she says, if you are silent about your pain, they'll kill you and say you enjoyed it. Mm. Yeah. And I feel like I'm just, I feel like I need the freedom of saying what happened to me. Yeah. So I try and do it as safe as possible. Yeah. Uh, But I still, I can't just like preemptively silence myself because that's doing their work for them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I feel honestly, I feel like that if you, um, I just feel like not saying something is, is it's yeah. like, it's letting the organization win basically. Yeah. It's letting those motherfuckers win. And that's why, it that's totally why I'm doing is. this right now. Cause I'm not letting those fuckers win. Uh, yeah. I they, feel like yeah. keeping their, it would be keeping their secrets yes. and acting uh, yeah. as though the shame we have is like reasonable and it's our yeah. fault that we grew up yeah. this way. Yeah. And, and, and it's that's not, that's what the, that's, I mean, I, I can't, I can't count the number of times when, you know, we were made to feel like shame and guilt for just normal human stuff. Every second uh, of every day of our childhoods. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and and also shame at shame at the idea of like telling anyone what we were going through. Yeah. Shame at the idea of you know exposing the organization or you know not seeing through God's point of view or you know all these all this this like litany of 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 bullshit that was just there to protect the organization um and yeah and I actually I just feel like you know it's falling for me personally I, I you know everyone has to go on their own journey and I would never hold it against anyone for not saying something but for me it's important to, to, to say something because they in my view they they are winning if if we are silent effectively I just thought my whole life I had to be silent about this and once yeah. I started I actually, I was in grad school. I went back to school for art and I made this little book where I, it was the first time I like talked about my life with anyone. I mean, I I printed it out. I bound it myself and it was called, the book was called, when I tell you I was born into a cult, this is what it means. Mm. And it's just like a list essentially of like, I went to Camp Sunrise. I ate curry every Sunday, like just this kind of stuff. And I felt like it was the first time I was vulnerable. Mm. And the response I got from the people 
the artists and my professors and fellow students that read it was just like they were vulnerable back to me Mm. and it was like the first time that I felt like maybe I didn't need to carry all this shame with me all the time yeah so sometimes I feel like the other church kids in this area like Eris will sometimes laugh and say that I'm like a really angry person (laughs) because (laughs) I love complaining about the church but (laughs) I feel like they like he like I feel like a little misunderstood because I think when I complain it feels like I'm letting this go because I'm saying Mm. like I was a child and this stuff was thrust on me and like this is I'm I'm putting all that shame back on the church and I'm like kind of exercising it and I'm saying like this was your fault like I was a minor like you fucked me up yeah I'm spending my adulthood picking up the pieces making sure I have a video camera in front of my house like 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 this is not my fault and yeah. I'm doing the best I can and yeah. it's very freeing yeah 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 I, and I mean just know knowing what we know about the organization they will they will seek to you know throw it all back on you you know make yeah. everything is always the fault of the individual and, and the, the organization is never at fault but what, what I'm hoping to do here is is expose those faults um so thank you for having this conversation because yeah. yeah I think it's I think it's important for a lot of reasons I think what I was so nervous about talking today is like I feel like people have asked me about my past before because I feel which is great and fine but I feel like I haven't really talked about how serious my life is now Mm. still like I did have to spend like two weeks ago when the Capitol riots happened like I did what like I was like oh sanctuary there were members of sanctuary church there Mm -hmm. were my parents part of the rioters Mm -hmm. like what and were they I don't think so okay I don't think so were they were they in Washington though I'm not sure okay I have a feeling they weren't I think they were still left behind at the thing Okay. okay at the church center okay okay or compound or whatever they call yeah, it yeah whatever it is in in pennsylvania but yeah i guess just to like just to be clear for the li- the listeners um like there's like photos and videos online of um sean moon and other members of sanctuary church on the steps of the capitol you know amongst the you know hundreds or thousands or however many people were there uh you know insurrectionists, domestic terrorists, whatever you want to call them, uh, storming the Capitol, I guess what's, so it's clear that they were there on the steps of the Capitol. It's unclear if anyone from Sanctuary Church actually entered the Capitol or was involved in any of the violence. Um, I haven't seen any evidence to, to suggest that, Um, but they were definitely there amongst that crowd. Yeah. The rumors I've heard is that like they, or I've, I saw pictures of them very close to the barriers and I heard and they were definitely pepper sprayed. Yeah. I heard they didn't get in the building, but that wasn't because they were following the law that they like, they were trying to get in the building, yeah. but they couldn't. Yeah. And that they were wearing bulletproof vests, but they did not Whoa. have their guns on them. 
Okay. Although I don't know what other weapons. It seemed like maybe they had some kind of something oh, with them. Wow, Jesus Christ. So Sanctuary Church like essentially has like militias now. Yeah. At least one militia. Like their youth their youth group is really just like a militia. So now. militia training. I remember seeing some videos like that online where you can see see kids training. Like, yeah, it's basically militia training. Um and yeah, I mean I have I have to say like we when I started this project towards the end of last year, it was, you know, talking to people like you and I that have gone that have gone through all this and, you know, mostly about their experiences growing up and how that's impacted them now. And, you know, Trump kind of came up in the dialogue, uh, you know, because uh, yeah. like I said, that's kind of the reasons why I got interested in doing this uh, on a more accelerated timeline. But through all of that, I, I never expected the sort of like the, the timeline of the discussions that I was having to be like intersecting with the present um, and in the way that it has right yeah. now on the steps of the Capitol and with, you know, your parents and with sanctuary church, that was yeah completely unexpected when I, when I started having these conversations also unexpected when I spoke with areas who you and I both know on, and, you know, we were talking about kids going fundraising and in the midst of the COVID pandemic, Oh my god! I, I basically, oh. I was expecting to like talk to people about shit that happened like 15 years ago. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't expecting to talk about stuff that's happening right now, um, but it's happening. <sighs> it's like a never, it's like a Russian nesting doll where it's like every yeah. time you think you're done with the shit. more pops Yeah, out. I know. I know. I know. And that's, yeah, exactly. That's exactly yeah. what it is. So it sounded like you were about to say something about the, the fundraising. Oh, I talked to Eris and he said that, for now the they've i think eris did it did a lot of lobbying okay uh and and bugged um people he knew and and he's gotten assurances that they've stopped fundraising okay. during okay. for the rest of the pandemic okay awesome uh awesome. this is now like a year into the pandemic so yeah. like a <laughs> little, too little too late but like i just want to okay all right cool say that it seems like they've stopped, but also I think it's mostly thanks to Eris. Okay. Well, uh, that's good. I mean, well, well done him for, for saying something and for, for agitating and making some change. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think what else. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's interesting having this conversation today, like 16th of January. Oh so God, yeah. yeah. 10 days ago was, that was the, the riots on the Capitol. Um, Tomorrow, in principle, is when some new rounds of domestic terror are meant to be occurring. Yeah. Um, I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully nothing. Hopefully they realize that guns are heavy and icky. (laughs) (laughs) And they realize it's way more fun to go to the dog park. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Like, why not just be a dog cult instead of a gun cult? like or just like read there's a lot of good novels coming out right now like yeah. i just feel like i could offer them so many did they not hear about the sourdough trend like there's so <laughs> many things for them to do <laughs> like standing outside for hours is like they could even if they wanted to stand outside for hours they could do bird watching they could exactly you know there's still so many things Just fucking go bird watching. 
thank you, Akina. It's not that fucking hard. Just go bake some goddamn sourdough, go watch some birds, and stop being hate mongers. It's not that fucking hard. Come on. Is it really that hard just to get a life where you do the things that you love without hating people around you? You should try it sometime. In addition to advising against being a hate monger, you know what else I'm going to advise against? Drawing blood from loads of people and storing it in rice cookers. And you know why I mentioned that? Because we're going to talk about that in the next interview. Yes, that happened. And we're going to talk about it in part two of my interview with Akina Cox. Please stay tuned. And I hope you enjoy it, if enjoyable is the right word. I don't really know. But yeah, that happened. Peace, y'all.